Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today, I'm talking with Derek Alley Good, a 30-year veteran of Orange County Fire Rescue. He spent 12 years as a firefighter, five as an engineer, uh, driver operator, and then 13 as a lieutenant. Yeah, and that's correct. Most of your time was spent at 81 and 83, uh, two pretty busy houses. Um, yeah, correct. The, the reason that I wanted to have you on um, was to talk about leadership, talk about lessons learned, maybe some of uh, the experiences that you've had in your career that kind of shaped who you are, and then even some of your experiences growing up because i know just from talking to you throughout the years uh, a lot of what shaped you was your relationship with your father your your experience with sports the really big thing when when people talk about you even people that you probably don't even know um, how you influence them when teaching the leadership course and then just by example, how, um, how people saw you operate on calls, high stress incidents, you know, you have, you have quite the reputation and, uh, uh I want to say thank you for allowing me to interview you, but, um, let's go into maybe what got you started in the fire service. So I played, I went on to play uh, college football at Austin Peay State University, uh, came home. I was dating my wife, who's still my wife. Um, at the time, came home, uh, continued to go to college, not really sure what I wanted to do. Uh, my dad was a blue collar guy, truck driver his whole life, seventh grade education. Uh, my mom worked for uh, Sears and Roebuck for 29 years. So I wasn't really sure. I thought I was going to do the trucking thing. And before I went on to, to go to college, I was uh, to play football. Um, I was going in the Air Force because that's where my grandfather, another strong influence in my life. Um, he was in the Air Force for 32 years, uh, retired out. And so that was kind of what was driving me that direction. But then, of course, football uh, gave me another avenue. Uh, when, that, when that ended, uh, came home and really didn't know what I wanted to do. But my, my wife's side of the family uh, were all involved in the fire service. Um, so I, <clears throat> I'm going to tell this story, and you can edit it if you, if you need to. But uh, in 1986... I uh, came home and I tried to get on with Orange County Fire Rescue. Uh, I took the civil service test that they gave at the time. I got a 96 on the, on the written. I moved on to the practical. Uh, I showed up. There were 72 people uh, that day that showed up for that, that uh, physical agility test. People from all over the country had flown in. Uh, here I was, just a guy who never really knew much about the fire service. And so I went through the agility test. I did the whole physical agility test. And at the end of the day, uh, they were going to post all the findings, or uh, the findings, I should say, all the uh, scores on the tower under your social security number. There was a ranked list. 
um, they told you that where, where you were on that list is where you finished for the whole process. Uh, so I finished second out of 72 people, never been in the fire service a day in my life. Uh, just some practical skills and whatnot. At the end, when everybody reviewed their scores, we came back together. And uh, this was about the time affirmative action had taken place in, in America. A bigger chief, and I don't remember his name, uh, he came out and he congratulated everybody and said everybody had passed the physical agility test, uh, that he wanted to make sure that we knew that it was a rank list and whatnot. Uh, but there was a but. And the but was that um, since we were in this affirmative action situation, any minorities, anybody classified as a minority, as long as they passed, would, would supersede that rank list. You know, need to behold, I, I didn't get hired in 1986. Uh, very disgruntled with it. I just thought, you know, this, this process is, you know, I don't want nothing to do with this fire department. Uh, young, didn't understand at the time what was actually being told to me. Uh, so things, life kind of drove me a different way, and, and I did start driving trucks for a living and whatnot, and um, here and there, I, I, I was asked to leave the job uh, uh, because I was showing too much of a leadership role, and I didn't want to take on a, a management position. Uh, just wasn't something I thought I was going to do the rest of my life. Um, so they gave me eight weeks severance. I left. Um, I was actually coaching, uh, who was the commander at the time in Orange County. I was coaching one of his sons in football. And he approached me about it. And I said, man, you know what? I don't know to do with that fire department. You know, I just feel like I really got kicked to the curb, um, you know, for being who I was. And, and, you know, you take it for how you want to. But so for whatever reason, you know, that direction kept kind of coming back to me. So I, I went on to standards. I went on to EMT. I was two weeks out of finishing EMT when they called me from the county to offer me the job. Uh, I explained to the HR guy. I, I said, look, man, here's the deal. I'm I'm not done with my EMT, but I had carried like a 96 in my class and I could get reference letters and, and whatever you needed. Then I explained my situation in 1986. He thought about it. He said, well, you know, we really, they really are looking for people that are already qualified or certified. And I said, man, you can't do this to me again. I said, you know, I, I, I've, I've done all I could do. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you. So basically, lo and behold to him, he said, you know what, I'm going to process you. Just come on in. Uh, so I got the job in 1989. Um, and then uh, I actually took my, my state test or national, whatever they call it. Uh, I actually took that test a month and a half after being on, uh, which wasn't the norm. Yeah. You know? So I was kind of, uh, I was, and I started station 20 up in Zellwood and, and there was this thing called Buddha Dean up there. And it was, a, it was different, uh, different than the fire service today, I can tell you. Uh, but you kind of earned your, earned your right up there and your right of passage, I guess. So I, I caught a little bit for not actually being certified when I came on and how did I get in and yada, yada, yada. So from that point on, that's, uh, that's how I became a fireman. And again, uh, I know you've mentioned my mom and dad earlier, my family, how important they are to me. All the values, all my values that I got from them, the, the moral character I got from them, the way I was brought up, you know, in a disciplined household. Uh, my dad was, you know, my dad was almost 40 years in the Teamsters. So I always lived in a union household. Uh, he was a steward. He was... Um, he went up to the national conventions a few times. He, he was very uh, well-renowned in that, in that field uh, for what he did, again, with a seventh grade education. Um, so I was always driven, you know, sports oriented. Uh, I was always, you know, I was always that kid that my dad was saying, you know, when they asked for somebody to do it, you know, you volunteer, you get in the front of the line, uh, whether you knew how to do it or you didn't. And there was many times I didn't, but I always volunteered. Uh, and that's kind of what drove me to, to really just, you know, not just stand around to take, 
taking it, you know, making effort, uh, no matter what it was, it didn't matter what rank I was. Uh, so that, that's kind of where, that's kind of my background anyway, but the, uh, fire service was, was basically kind of geared from my wife's side of the family. Uh, both of them were lieutenants with, uh, one was a battalion chief, one was a lieutenant with Orange County as well. Um, one passed away on duty, uh, or, or died in the line of duty. And the other one was asked to leave after 24 and a half years, uh, due to the revamping of, of, uh, the county and one of my 12 chiefs that I had, uh, that's, that was the way they chose to do it. So anyway, that's it. Nothing, uh, nothing crazy. <laughs> so you mentioned Buddha Dean. You know, I, I never experienced that, but the, the legend was well known when I got hired, heard a lot of stories. They were I, I all true. Yeah. I, I'd like to hear it from somebody that actually experienced it. Uh, so, so as I know it, Buddha Dean uh, came to exist from a couple guys, and I'm not going to say their names, but a, a, a couple guys that it came from pro wrestling. Okay. Um, you know, and you know how real that is. So uh, Kevin Sullivan was a pro wrestler and he was kind of uh, controlled by this, this uh, power called Buddha Dean. And Buddha Dean was liable to do anything. Uh, and Buddha Dean did a lot of things. Uh, I guess they call it hazing today. Uh, back then it wasn't, um, I, I, don't, I don't really know enough about hazing, but I had already been to college. So I already went through my freshman deal. I already, you know, I, I got hazed in college as, as most people do in your first year. So I just kind of took it as, you know, this is part of earning your right into the fold, you know, to, to becoming that that strong-minded fireman and, and, and of all the things that was done to all those that experienced the garden of memories and the wheelchair and, and all that stuff that went with it. Uh, I can tell you that after 30 years of service and some hard times in, in my life, as far as just dealing with uh, the service, you know, especially early on, uh, it made me mentally stronger. It prepared me for what I was going to, what I was going to face. And, and I know some people look down on it, but to be honest with you, I, I think it was, it was a positive for me uh, at the time. I just went with it. I wasn't a guy that fought it. I knew it had to happen. So, so it happened. Um, and I don't really need to go into, you know, cause I don't know what the statute of limitations is. So I don't really need to go into uh, uh, what, uh, what all occurred, but um, it was all to make you better. I'll say that. Man, that's disappointing. I wanted to hear one of these Buddha <laughs> yeah, stories. Yeah, no, I don't because I don't know where this is going to go. So <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm going to plead the fifth on this one. All right, all right. You mentioned mental toughness and um, just how that kind of prepared you for some of the things that you you faced in your career. I know you've probably you know over 30 years you've seen a lot. What's one call or experience? as a firefighter, fire officer, um, that really, that really shaped you, that, that stays with you? Oh man, there's a lot. Uh, you know, my career was kind of in stages. So I, you know, I did 12 years as, as a fireman. And, and I will say on that 12 years as a fireman is, is such an advantage, uh, to where the fire service is today. Uh, because I, I, I stayed in the trenches for 12 years. And I faced a lot of stuff and learned a lot of stuff that I could carry with me as I started to progress through my career. I know it's a, it's a fast pace, get promoted as quick as you can type fire service today. And I could tell you, I wouldn't have been the driver or operator and I wouldn't have been the, the lieutenant, the instructor, the, 
the mentor, as people have told me, uh, had it not been for serving 12 years as a fireman. Uh, because I, I learned so many different ways. I experienced so many different things. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about earlier, I talked about mental, right? So there's, there's mental toughness in a couple different ways. Uh, being a father of three, that's a mental toughness in itself. Uh, you know, having to be the, the one that kind of guides those three kids through life and, and keep them out of trouble. Um, that's a different type of mental toughness. Um, when you get in the fire service, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all easy to handle when it's on the TV screen and it goes off in two hours and you walk down and say, man, that was a crazy movie or that was a, uh, different from when I used to uh, speak at family days to new hires and, and their families and explain to them that, you know, your child's not going to be able to walk away from that movie anymore. Your child's going to experience some of, some of the most horrific things that anybody could possibly ever see, uh, whether it be by, you know, just natural causes, whether it be by an accident in a car accident, or whether it just be by heinous action, whether it be suicide, whether it be murder, whether it be rape, uh, whatever the case may be, they're going to face that. And you're not ever going to, you can store it away as we try to do, try to do it all the time. We just store it away and sorry about that phone, but it's a spam call. We try to put it away, but there's stuff that just always comes back. So early in my career, I'd, I'd been at 20, uh, was kind of out in the, out in the country and uh, not a real busy load by any means. Uh, the only reason I, I drove 40 miles to work uh, was because I enjoyed the environment. Even with Buddha Dean, it was still a good environment. I enjoyed the guys I worked with. Um, but the one thing that I hadn't experienced that a lot of my, my uh, classmates had experienced was a lot of trauma. Uh, just hadn't happened yet. I've been on a month and a half and just didn't have that big call. You know, I wasn't at the 42. I wasn't at the 30 or the 81. I, I was at a slower, slower uh, <clears throat> station. So I experienced suicide in my life. Uh, I lost my grandparents to, to, to murder-suicide, they called it. Uh, they both, you know, it was, it was consensual on both sides. But uh, these were mentors in my life. These were people that, that meant uh, so much to me, that shaped me. Uh, along with my parents, and uh, it was a tragedy, and I never would accept it. Uh, I had so much hate in my heart for him, for people that meant so much to me, uh, to just turn around and forget all the good. Like, I just did not want to, I didn't, I just didn't want to condone it, and I don't condone it, um, but I was a little short-sighted, so I put, I pushed it away for a long time, so my first trauma call was, I was 23 years old. It was a, uh, it was a black gentleman who, who had shot himself and they brought him to the station. Uh, 1130 at night, came blowing the horn, uh, go out there, man, have no idea what we're getting into. And uh, here this kid with a gunshot wound to the head, he's 23 years old. I was 23 years old. Uh, we worked him back then. There was no calling it on scene. It was, you know, you work him, work him to the hospital. Uh, so I did. So you know, as most young firemen do. And as I got older and I used to tell them, you know, like, man, I just want, I want a good call. I said, well, what is a good call? Tell me what a good call is. Because a good call in the fire service is somebody's worst nightmare. It's tragedy. Um, but I understood what they were saying, but because of the way it happened to me, I would always, I put it in perspective. I'm doing, you know, I'm holding C-spine. We're working CPR on this kid. My hands are all in the, in the mess. And, uh, you know, I get back and, Man, I'm not your one on my belt. I finally got that trauma call. I mean, I thought this was, this was it, man. I, I get to finally tell somebody. We didn't have computers, by the way. Didn't have cell phones. Uh, so it wasn't like I could just go on and, you know, send a text or tell everybody, hey, I, I incurred one. So I went to bed that night. You know, I was, was kind of amped up. You know how the adrenaline goes. 
man, I'm driving home again. I'm 40 miles from home. I'm driving home. I'm by myself. I get down to, I can remember it plain as day. I was cutting up uh, Fairbanks Avenue at New York, at New York and Fairbanks. And man, I went flush. I, I started having no feelings. I just, I, I don't know what it was, man. It came over me and I, and I was just, didn't know how to deal with it. Uh, so I went home. I tried to fight it for a couple of days. I couldn't sleep. I, you know, I was just, I was a hot mess. Uh, talking to my wife who who understand the tragedy that I went through. Obviously we were married, you know, when it occurred to me in my life. And now this is my first big trauma call. And, and I have told this story before, just not to too many people. Uh, and it's not that I'm ashamed of it. I'm, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm proud of it because it really made me who I was. Uh, again, a tragedy in your life, but I turned it into helping others. But I went to work, man. And again, you got to know the Buddha Dean thing. You got to know the air with which I was hired. It was wasn't a whole lot about talking and counseling. There was no, you went to work, man, and you just put your, your tough skin on and you did it. And man, about midday, I was, I was done. I couldn't do it. I, I went in and talked to my first Lieutenant Marvin Barrett, who, who was a godsend. Uh, and I told him, man, I told him what was going on, what I was feeling. And he sent me home, which I don't know was the greatest thing at the time, but at the time it felt like the best thing. And I laid out of work for like five, five weeks with the intent. I wasn't going back. I said, I can't do this. You know, I just can't. This isn't for me. I'd already actually uh, called a couple of people trying to line up maybe a job here or there. And so I sat down with my dad again, you know, best man in my wedding, best man in my life. And I told him, I said, uh, dad, I think I'm going to leave. And he said, well, son, let me tell you something. He said, if you leave for every hard situation in life that comes up, you're going to leave a lot. I said, yeah, but dad, you don't understand. He says, no, I do understand. And he says, but you can't leave without going back. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, you got to go back. He said, you put a year and a half of your life into getting this job. And now you're talking about leaving this job. And uh, so I thought about it and I said, you know, I, I got to go back. So I returned on uh, October 31st. It was Halloween. Uh, nervous man, anxiety. I had it all going on, boy. I, I just... Anyway, I go to work and I, you know, there was a couple of days where a couple of times throughout the day, you know, something was funny, something, you know, and I kind of, you know, I was kind of like, man, I, I just love it. I just love the environment. And even in my mind, in my, my mind was telling me, Hey, quit. My heart was telling me, man, you're doing what you need to do. And, but it's hard, you know, when you're, you're dealing with that kind of stuff. So anyway, I'm thinking Halloween night in Zellwood, holy cow, man. I'm fixing it like it's, it's going to be mayhem, you know? Well, we didn't get a call. Uh, we passed out candy. Uh, everybody went to bed. You know, there was a couple late nighters who stayed up till one in the morning. I'm still up at three thirty in the morning. Now, I've only been on for two months, and uh, I'm cleaning the kitchen for like the tenth time of the day. It was already clean, but I'm just in there cleaning. And uh, Marvin, uh, my first lieutenant, again, I say he's a godsend. He never got up. We called him the Big Bear when he went to bed. Uh, I always had to sleep next to him because snoring didn't bother me. And uh, I don't really think he qualified as snoring. It was something above that. <laughs> but I could sleep there. Uh, so I always sat next to him, and he never got up. So when he went to bed, he, he got up when it was time to get up in the morning, and, and it shift changed. So this night, at you know, it's 3.30 in the morning. I'm up. I'm, I'm, I'm tense. I'm, you know, I don't – man, I'm thinking to myself, I ain't going to be able to do it. I think I even called my dad earlier in the day said, Dad, I, I just can't do it. And he said, well, son, he said, you – you tell them that you're going to move on and you thank them for the opportunity and, you know, the whole nine yards. And I'm not sure what he said, but something caught me right at the end of the conversation. I told him I loved him as I always do. And 
something caught me at the end of the conversation that said, I think he was just kind of telling you, hang in there. Don't, don't tell them to quit. But if you're going to tell them you're quitting. So I did. And uh, lo and behold, 3.30 in the morning, the big bear got up, shows up in the kitchen. Uh, John was a big thing back then. Everybody was called John. Um, he come in there and he said, well, John, what are you doing? And I said, I'm just, man, I can't sleep. You know, I'm really anxious. Uh, just waiting on that next suicide, man. I'm just waiting on that next trauma call. And uh, he said, well, make us some coffee, John. So made us some coffee and we sat down and he, we talked till shift change, just him and I in the kitchen at 20. And he put life in perspective for me. He told me when he was new, he told me some of the guys I worked with when they were new and the troubles that they went through on their first, you know, big, big calls. And unbeknownst to me, everybody has a way of dealing with it. Uh, depends on what your life experience was up to it. Man, from that day forward, I just fought it and I fought it and I fought it and I got through it and made me stronger. And um, I was able to help a lot of people in my career. Uh, so when people would mock suicide, people would talk about weakness and people would uh, say stuff, I, I was the first to step up. I would never tell them what my deal was, but I was the first one to step up and say, hey, you know, until you've been there, until you've encountered it, you don't know anything about it. Um, yeah. And I would, I would somewhat get a message across, not ever telling my story, but uh, people knew certain times was not not the right person to be talking to and it uh worked out for me man it, it shaped me talking about things that shape you um and you and i have had some personal conversations it's uh that's how my career started um and then i just kept pushing forward and of course i moved on to two busy houses and i stayed there my the rest of my career another 25 years uh you know i taught a lot i i never envisioned that I would be thought upon as I was thought upon uh, because I never had to change who I was. I never, never had to run any position I was in any different than when I was a fireman other than, other than what was, you know, SOP. Uh, outside of that though, I treated people the same for my all 30 years. And man, next thing you know, people were like, man, we, you're, you're my mentor or you touch me in this way or you touch me in that way. And I'm like, I don't even remember working with you. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, you know, you know how it is, you know, we yeah. got so big and I, I taught all of them, but I, you know, it's hard to remember names Yeah. and uh, really just uh, really kind of humbled me. I, uh, and, you know, I, I taught back basics, which is a program that, you know, they pick six lieutenants out of the County to run this program. And you were a Lieutenant at 71 at the time. Yeah. Oh, and I taught battalion five and, you know, they, they would do those reviews and, and you know how most of those reviews were. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah, four, two, three, one, whatever, boom, throw them in the pile. But all mine were coming back with notes and, and things, good things being said. And, you know, so I was approached to training about, man, what are you doing out there? Because most of these reviews are just a, you know, pencil whip and get out of the way. And you have comments on all your reviews. And I said, man, I'm not doing anything. I'm, I'm trying to teach these people what's right, you know, just the basics of doing a job. And from that day forward, it humbled me um, to know that I had that big of an impact. Uh, so I tell people it's a, it's a blessing and a curse. So it was a blessing because everybody likes to be, be looked upon in a positive way, but it was a curse because everything I ever did from that point forward was always thought out. It was always who was in the room, you know, who am I addressing? Um, because you're being looked at in a different way. Uh, and Again, it's a blessing and a curse, but I think a positive overall because it, it made me a better person. 
Yeah. Um, so anyway, might've been a little long winded, but. No, that was awesome. Probably in a good day. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentored a lot of, a lot of people out of all of those firefighters that have uh, come through your, your crews. Can you pick out one that really is a standout that, that you're really proud that you were able to work with them and mentor them? Oh man, that's a tough question. You're putting me in a bad spot. So many, uh, you know, talking about mentoring uh, directly and indirectly, you know, there was, there was those that worked for me, but then there was those that would call me from other stations, you know, and would come by on their off days to, to maybe get some insight, pick my brain, do some training. So mentoring directly to those within the, within the house, man, there's probably five or six, Dave. I, I really hate to, I hate to single one out. I, I really do. I mean, you know, you get guys that come in with some experience, uh, whether it be fire service, because uh, everybody comes in with experience. You know, we taught in leadership that, you know, the, the rookie was no experience, no blank slides. I mean, all blank slides. Uh, but they all have experience. You know, if you work, if you worked in construction, if you worked in the electrical business, if you worked in the plumbing business, if you were a mechanic, man, you had a lot to give to, to me because I, I, you know, I, I did a lot of the construction side of it, but very weak on electrical. I did know the plumbing side, uh, but like mechanics, how cars work, how, you know, how to take them apart, the things to do, not to do. A guy coming in who's a rookie in the fire service um, has a lot to offer. You know, the electrician has a lot to offer. You know, all those, you know, those odors, those, uh, those electrical, you know, uh, investigations or whatever. I didn't care if you had a day on or an hour on, man, if you were an electrician and you were worth your weight in gold, you were, you were who I was going to. That's, I think that's the beauty of the fire service. So to discount people because they didn't come in with a, a background. For me, I, I had those that came in that were completely green that turned out to be just outstanding, uh, that, that, that were sponges. Um, that soaked in all that knowledge. They, they took it from everybody. They weren't afraid to ask the questions, uh, which is another thing um, that I, I, it was a, a pact I made with myself that if I ever became an officer and that I wanted my people to feel freely to talk, I wanted my people to, to not be intimidated to ask that question, uh, whether it be in private or whether it be in, in front of the crew. But I encouraged them. Uh, I encouraged them after any significant call that they needed to ask me questions you know, Hey, why did we do it like that? Or was there another way to do it? Or, and for the guys that were green, it, 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 it seemed more like a, uh, it seemed a greater accomplishment because they were so green and now they were thinking in a different way versus the guy that came in maybe with just a little bit of background or, or more practical skill, but either way, we were able to mesh all that together and, and, and build these crews. You know, I went through four crews my last, you know, eight years or so, you know, I went through four different truck companies. Uh, from guys getting promoted, you know, guys pushing forward. And so I was a little exhausted at the end. Like, you know, I just wanted to come in and not have to do this, you know, every two years. But but in the in the long in the long and short, it it turned out to be a blessing for everybody. But to see that green guy start asking questions and start getting it and start understanding to the point where now they would start asking tactically, hey, could we have done this? I was thinking maybe if we did this and whether it was good or bad. You know, I was able to explain it. Be like, man, that's a good idea. You know what? I, I'm going to put that. I'm going to put that in my memory bank uh, to somewhere I could explain. Hey, that here's why that wouldn't work. Uh, and I think when you get to that point, you've you've accomplished what it is you're setting out to accomplish, uh, whether it is directly said to you or whether you just see it. 
So I, I really don't want to just name one, to be honest with you. Well, because um, I've had so many. Where I was going with it, you actually gave a lot of the information that I was looking for. Like, what was it about those individuals that, that set them apart, their achievements that, because we've, we've all seen really good people go to stations and just get ruined. Yes. And then we've seen individuals that, that go to a really good, uh, a really good crew that has a good officer, good firefighters, and somebody that really probably should have chosen a different career. Yes. Somehow they, they just get shaped and molded and turn into a superstar. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. I agree. I, I, uh, <laughs> I got a few names that pop into mind, you know, of, of people that, so I did a lot of, I taught a lot of command school. I led the program for a little while there towards the end. And, you know, when you're a Lieutenant and a Lieutenant by choice, and I'll make sure I tell everybody that I was a Lieutenant by choice because that's where I didn't want to stop. Um, to be honest with you, I never wanted to get there. Uh, again, the, the job kind of pushed me in that direction and, and I, and I ended up there and, and I'm, I'm glad I did. Uh, but I could have went further. I was encouraged to go further. I was encouraged to take the next step. But for me, it truly come down to, I wanted to affect people. And I'm not talking about the people outside the house. I want to talk about the people that worked for the department. And unfortunately, as you know, being a battalion chief, you don't have the ability to affect as many people just due to your daily task and, and all that that goes with it. You don't get that direct contact. Whereas staying as a line officer, um, staying in it, um, you get to touch so many more people. You, you get to train so much longer. So for me, it was, it was about teaching people the job and, and not that I was, I never thought there was a job that I couldn't handle, no matter how abnormal it might be. You know, it was kind of common sense to me, you know, take care of those immediate needs. Uh, and then everything would kind of fall in place and, and you know, you'd, you'd fill in the gaps. Uh, so I always felt like, you know, even if that plane went down and there was a hundred people on it, I just felt like I could, I would be able to handle that. I'm sure there's things that are going to be missed, but as long as you develop that mentality, uh, you're going to be able to carry yourself in a, in a positive way. I, I would say this to those families. I was talking about family day. You know, I would say that, you know, I, there's many a call I've been standing there that I wanted to leave. I wanted to get out of there. You know, it's, it's fight or flight. And so I would tell them, when when you signed on, when your child signed on or or your loved one signed on to be a fireman, um, he went ahead and nicknamed flight because there is no flight. It's stand and fight. Many, many calls, even late in my career that, that I'm on that that I didn't want to be there. But nobody in that nobody in, in that area was gonna know that I didn't want to be there because I was back into the game. You know, it's it's that it's that that finite focus that comes with that you know with that that type of call. So, um, you know, I would tell the rookies, you know, you're going to go in. You're you're, you're a rookie. You're not going to go through Budadeen. Budadeen doesn't exist anymore. Okay. Uh, sometimes I think they should have maybe gone through some Budadeen, but he doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, you're not going to go through that. But I will tell you this. The, the thing about being a rookie is there's things to being a rookie. There is things to earning your, your, your right of passage. And I think we all in the fire service who, who have it in our blood, believe that whether it be military, whether it be fire service, whether it be the, you know, uh, the police officers or, or any public service, really 
but you got to earn your right. You're just not going to walk in and, and be that guy. So there is a rite of passage. So with that rite of passage comes a calm demeanor, comes the ability to, to use that training, uh, whether it was formal or informal, whether it was looking at a guy like you or looking at a guy like me, seeing how he conducted his, his business and saying, hey, man, that looks like the right way to do it. And you, that, that slowly becomes part of what you do to the point where you do get the mentality that there is nothing you can throw at me that I can't handle. And so when I say I was a lieutenant by choice, I was a lieutenant to get those people to that point. And I, didn't, I don't believe that beyond that in, in the way our department was structured, uh, you had that influence anymore. You kind of got away from it, got out of contact with it. And that's a whole nother subject. You know, talking about those that sometimes shouldn't be in the fire service, but somehow managed to get where they're at. Um, that's kind of what comes to my mind. It's not the rookie coming on. Yeah. It's the ones that, that went beyond. Um, but again, every, every department has its own, you know, everybody, every department has its own issues. You know, we were just bigger. We had more of them, but they're all the same. So for me, it was about influence and it was about trying to teach people what I thought was right. And as people were starting to gravitate towards, um, towards liking the way I, I handled business, the way I did things, the way I trained people, the way I, you know, I wasn't one who, who hollered or screamed. I wasn't one that jumped onto people. Uh, I was one that put my arm around and said, hey, man, why are you struggling? Let's talk about that. Let's figure that part out. Because once we figure that part out, then we can work on the rest of it. And, and I talked to a good buddy of mine who took my position. You know, I gave him, gave him my unit. And I, I talked to him today about not being so quick to write people off. You know, we're so quick to be judgmental. We're so quick to adhere to what our station does that we never look to see that there's some positives in what other stations are doing. We never want to do that. Uh, it's a pride thing. And you want to be good. You want to look down the road and know that, that that's the guy that's coming because you know his crew's going to be jammed up. That's a positive feeling, especially from a command standpoint. But there's people that we could have wrote off a long time ago that, like you said, turned out to be outstanding. That turned out to, like, like you can't even remember when they were, you know, not even capable of tying their shoes. They had to get boots. So those are the kind of things I'm talking about is that, you know, I, I learned that that's a learned trait when I was 23, 28, you know, I was, I was confrontational. I was, you know, if you didn't, I go, all right, I'll take you on. Um, but I learned as an adult and learned as, you know, growing in the service that that's not how you affect people. I mean, you can bully anybody you want to bully, you know, those that want to be bullied will be bullied and those that don't, they're going to step back at you. So that's not the way to, that's not the way to treat people. So I always tried to find the, okay, you know, what are you struggling with? Let's approach what you're struggling with. And then beyond that point, if you could figure that part out, you usually went on to do good things. If you couldn't figure that part out, then, then maybe I give you the Burger King application. But I didn't have to do that very often. So I, I think that that's kind of what makes you that mentor. That's what makes you proud when you see those people that people were writing off turn out to be successes. Uh, and good at what they do. I'm not talking successes just because they, they were a step ahead or a class ahead. They were, they, they earned it. Um, and I think that's when you know that, that you got it. You know, you know, when people are doing stuff like that, you go, wow, I haven't really done anything different, but for whatever reason, it affected them in a positive way. There's a couple of things and we'll see where this goes. But through all of that, one of the things that kind of occurred to me really was, there was a pivotal point for me personally when I was going through some stuff and I'm sure you remember it at the time I was the the chief of special operations 
-hmm. really didn't have a whole lot of support from the department with as many responsibilities that were that went with that that position you know I, I was pretty overwhelmed with just stuff that was going on in my personal life and then everything that had to do with that position i remember one day you came in and I, we've always had a, a really good relationship there wasn't one other person that came and said, hey, I, I want to talk to you. And you got a minute. You shut the door. And, uh, you know, you're one of the biggest smart asses I've ever met. And you that's... Have to, you got to define that smart and ass are together. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm with you. So... I, uh, just, just so you know, I remember this day distinctly. So there's there's three parts to it. And we'll, we'll probably come back around to the smart ass part because I'd like to know where that comes from. I think this could lead into this, the second point. Um, the, the first thing that I, I want to know is at that time, you know, you recognized that I needed somebody to, I don't know, yank my head out of my ass. And um, mm -hmm. so you took that time and and you were very blunt and uh you know I'll, ne I'll never forget that you know because I, I was screwing up you know i, I was i was I, I didn't have my priorities in in the right place you know you came in you sat down you let me know that i was disappointing people you you let me know that you were aware of stuff that was going on in my life but i i needed to suck it up and and if you know, I needed to talk. You were there. I'd, I'd like to hear from your perspective, kind of what led you to do that and maybe what was going on in your, your head when, when you decided to, to take that action and, and how you felt after you left my office. Well, so this is going to go back to, uh, it's going to start back at back to basics. Uh, you and I never really worked together. Uh, I knew about Dave Hollenbach. I knew about you when you came on and, and all that stuff early on. Uh, but you and I never really, never really worked together. Um, but being, but teaching that back to basics and kind of getting to know all the crews and, and, and looking at the way crews functioned, you know, we had those that, you know, I spent some extra time with, and then we had those that you just were like, man, I don't even feel like I did anything. So that's when I kind of started looking at Dave Hollenbeck as, as just the lieutenant, as the, as the guy that had a, a well-oiled uh, machine, guys that were thirsty for training, uh, good or bad, whether it was bad training, good training, they were going to give it their all, which was always, which was always the way I did it. Uh, even before I, I got heavy into training uh, and teaching, you know, teaching throughout the department, uh, I always showed up to training with a good attitude. I never, I never bitched and moaned. If it was a bad class, I never... I never made an ass out of myself. I, I worked hard. I did what I had to do, got what I could out of it. You know, maybe on the ride back, you know, there was some conversations about, man, I was about the lamest drill I've ever been through. You know, guys don't know their ass from a hole in the ground. Uh, but I never disrespected anybody that was, was, was their training, you know, that was, was thinking they were doing a good job, whatever the case may be. Um, so when I, when I came in and I, and I trained you guys, and I remember this, uh, Man, like it was yesterday, you know, we we're doing garden lays and we we're talking about extending hose lines and talking about getting behind these houses for the, the way we fought, uh, you know, brush fires that we don't, we don't fight actually, but we used to. 
Uh, we actually used to put them out in three days instead of three months, but that's a whole different philosophy. Uh, but anyway, we were talking about it and, and, and I remember getting a, an email from you. I was teaching still and, you know, I remember getting an email from you saying, hey, man, we used it today. And we went through a privacy fence. We, we, man, we took that panel out and, man, it was jammed up. It went so well. And, you know, you were just kind of letting me, just reassuring me that, hey, man, you know, what, what you're teaching is good stuff. Man, people apply it, you know. And, and so that, that kind of meant a lot to me um, because I knew people. I was like, like I said, I was getting a lot of good responses, uh, you know, a lot of humbling responses back from people. But to actually have somebody say, hey, man, we did exactly what we trained on that day. And man, it worked out like it. And I don't know if you remember the call, but um, yeah. I just remember you, you, you sent me the email. And, and and a lot of those people that work for you have now gone on to do really good things and are doing good things. And they've, they've taken leadership, you know, roles and positions. And, and I think that's a credit to you. Uh, but But for me, it was... I want to know a little more about the Steve Hollenbach guy. You know, I kind of like the way he's doing things. I, I know you, you know, you had a military background and I know you were into the leadership thing and all that. And, and man, I'm thinking you're heading in the right direction. And then the next thing I know, they said, Hey, did you hear that Dave Hollenbach guy is, uh, he's going to be the chief's driver. I said, Oh man, I had so much faith in that guy. And now he's going to go be the chief's driver. You know, what's he doing? Right. But then as you became the chief's driver and you were handed down some responsibilities and you started building on, uh, you know, building on the leadership, just bringing leadership into the department, just, just teaching people what leadership really is. Cause you know, leadership was pretty much where you were stationed. And like you said, there were stations you go to, there was zero leadership and you just thought that the way, that's the way it was supposed to be done. Uh, only to realize that you were really, uh, you know, people had a lot of faith in you coming out and then all of a sudden, man, they run into you six months later, you know, and you, can't tuck your can't tuck your shirt in. You, your your boots are untied. You're terrible at your job. A guy you had a lot of uh, hope for, and then you just reflect back to where they are, and you look at the officers in charge and the leadership they have at that station. <clears throat> so I don't think people really understand the the gravity of leadership, like how it is to work with a good leader versus how it is not to. Uh, I was I was in a position where I was able to have both. You know, I did work for some some bad leaders and. And I took it upon myself, just like I told every recruit, you know, it's, it's not, there ain't draft picks here. You're going to end up at a station and, and you know what's right. I mean, we've taught you what's right. You see what you need to gravitate to. Use everything available to you to get to that position. Don't settle on the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you're with a bad crew or you got bad leadership. Gravitate to that leadership. And, uh, and I've seen those that did and I've seen those that fell into it, you know, the trap. But with you, I didn't see that. I saw... I saw a crew that was, was really bonded together and, and they, they liked training. They were good at what they did. And uh, so I want to know more about you. And, uh, and then of course you became the chief's driver and which at the time I was heavy into training and, and uh, you know, on my off days and, and I said, man, I can, I can use this guy. I can use this guy. Cause he's my, he's my link to, to letting them know what the chatter is out here in the field, you know? Um, so anyway, that's where you and I started kind of, you know, relating to each other, talking to each other. I was, I was on a truck company and, you know, somehow became the truck guy. I don't know how that happened either, but somehow became the guy that, you know, man, that's the truck company you want to show up to your call, you know, because those guys are, guys are going to work uh, and they're going to take care of you. So as you gravitated to the special ops side, we were more entwined because, you know, we were considered special ops. And so you and I had a lot more. Uh, interaction. And then of course we were teaching leadership together. Uh, so I got to know more about you. 
so the, the, the kind of individual I was, this comes back to my father was, uh, you know, rumors are rumors. Fact is fact. So as I'm hearing, you know, because, you know, when you became the special ops chief, you know, you, you were, you were swimming uphill, no doubt. You know, you didn't have all those classes. Uh, still don't think that you have to have all those classes to be a good squad leader. I think that the, the guys in that program, uh, if they're doing what they need to do and you're, you're very organized in what you do, um, I don't think you have to carry every piece of paper they have uh, to be good at, at what you do. And, and obviously, you know, it happened with, with uh, you know, Cap and Hubbard running that program for a year and a half, you know, speaking of smart asses. But so you and I, you and I interacted a lot more. Um, so I was able to kind of know who you were. I, I was able to, to know a little bit about your family. I, I, you know, even deeper into, you know, with your brother and all that stuff, you know, I, I got to know more about you. Uh, so as I'm hearing these complaints, um, we had come down to training and it, I think I was actually just stopping by there to, to pick up something or, I mean, I wasn't even there for formal training. And I told the guys, I said, Hey, I'm going to go in and, uh, Let's see if Chief Hollenbeck's in there. I want to sit down and have a conversation with him. Uh, so you guys, you know, do whatever. Listen to the radio because uh, I probably wasn't going to be. Um, and I just saw it. I saw it from when we went to lunch that day. I, I saw that you were you were you were struggling. I don't think you were struggling as much with all the duties that came with the position as much as you were with how do I put it in line with what's going on in my personal life. Um, because you know me, family's first. I mean, I, I, if, if something's happened, that family's got to be addressed. Um, and, and I saw that it was interfering with some of what, you know, some, some timely stuff that maybe wasn't getting out or, and then I'm listening to the grumblings. And, and, and the one thing I don't like is grumblings for people who, who won't go to the source. As you know, I've never been that individual. I'm, I'm going to go to the source. I don't care if you're president of the United States. If, you're going to give me the opportunity. I'm going to take the opportunity and, and I, and you call it blunt. I just call it truth, you know, being honest. So that day, that's, that's kind of was my reason for coming by there was I wanted to want to go in there and see if maybe I could kind of figure out what there was anything I could do to help you. You know, I, I don't know that I could have helped you professionally, but maybe I could have helped you, you know, in your personal life. Maybe there was something that, you know, might've, might've just taken some weight off your shoulders or, whatever the case may be, you know, but I just wanted to say, Hey man, it's, you know, you're being looked upon by many, many eyes, those, those under your command and those above your command. Um, and I wanted you to know that I wanted you to know that that scuttlebutt's out there. I don't know if it was getting back to you. Um, but I knew you were better than that. And I knew there was a way I knew that if, if, so, you know, me, call me a smart ass and, and I am, I'm, um, proudly, uh, smart ass, but a lot of it's in humor. A lot of it is in to, to get people to laugh, to loosen them up, but there's always a message in there somewhere. Um, and so for me, my thing was, if I can just get you to think about it, I've accomplished my goal. Right. And that's kind of the way I dealt with people. Um, again, I wasn't a screamer and a holler. I wasn't a guy that was going to dress you down in front of people. You know, it was going to be you and I, and, and I was going to gravitate into whatever that situation might be to get to the point. So that's kind of where it was at, on that particular day, and I, and I remember it distinctly, uh, was I just want to leave you food for thought, right? I want you to know that, you know, there's, there's people that can help you. There's people that are, you know, it, it, it's a phone call to, 
to handle that task over there, to handle that task over there, not take all that task on dealing with a rough personal life at the time. Uh, so that was kind of my point. And so my point was, was kind of to snatch, maybe to snatch a knot in your ass, but not in that, the way most people do it. It was, I'm sure we had a couple laughs that day. I'm sure we loosened, I loosened you up a little bit before I, I gave it to you. Yeah, you did. Um, but the point, the point was, you know, I wanted to throw it on the table and let you chew on the crumbs and, and go, you know what, let me sit back and think about this. I got this, I got this squad lieutenant at 54 who, who will do anything for me. Why don't I, why don't I pawn some of that off on him? And I say pawn in a positive way, not a, not a negative way. You know, that's, that's a little bit less weight on your shoulders. So, and, and then you, you know, you figured it out, you know, you eventually left there. So that was, that's a positive as we all know. <laughs> uh, but long and short of it, that's, that's what, that's what it was about that day. It was, it was letting you, you know, chew on some of those, some of those thoughts that I threw at you and, and leave. I wasn't looking for answers. I just wanted to, I wanted to get you back in the game. Um, and, and I think it worked out. Yeah. That time in my life was, was pretty rough. When you came and, and met with me, I, I remember feeling a little bit beat up. It really got me in gear and I figured out what I needed to do. And really, quite frankly, I, I wanted to make you proud. I've, I've looked up to you for a long time and, um, you know, I, I didn't want to let you down. Yeah. Well, that wasn't the, that wasn't the intent. You don't have to worry about me. No, I uh, you know, my, my big thing was to let you know, I was, I was there for you. Yeah. Uh, good or bad. It didn't matter. You know, I was going to be there to prop you up. If that's what needed to happen. But I, I think at that time it was, you needed somebody to, just, you know, feel like you weren't taking this burden on by yourself. And, and I know the support you, you don't get because even guys that came in after you that held that same spot, you know, they were, they were hammered with the same stuff. Like, why am I, this shouldn't even be on my plate, you know? Uh, and again, I think that's people that get disconnected. I think that's the people that don't really understand what goes into to all the stuff that happens in that program. Um, so I, I, I just, my biggest thing was to say, Hey man, you ain't battling this by yourself. You know, I'm here. I don't know. I, I may make it worse for you, but I'm, <laughs> I'm here for you, you know? Um, and, and that was kind of the whole point to stopping that day was, was just to let you know. Uh, and I want you to know what was being said. You know, I, again, I, I'm not a guy that I don't like that, uh, approach me directly, you know, and say, Hey man. This is, this is what I'm seeing this is what I'm thinking. And that's going to make, that's going to give me something to, to, to chew on for a while and figure out and re, you know, because, and this is something I've, I've gotten better at. Boy, it's hard sometimes, you know, when you're, you're acting out of emotion or you're acting out of um, kind of like that last call, you know, that last big, big call I had in my career, you know, I, I got so mad that a guy I loved to death. I, you know, I was willing to just stomp him right in the dirt. Um, I was really just emotionally. It was I, I really wanted to tear his ass up. Um, well, let's uh, let's talk well, about hold, that. Hold on a second, though. What I'm saying is that I again, as developing as as an adult and throughout the fire service or whatever, I learned that you know when it got to that point of emotion and saying something that that you're probably going to have to take back in a couple of days. 
uh, I would, I would chew on it for a couple of days and I would come back and I would handle it in a totally different manner. I would think it through and say, okay, you know, there, there might be parts that I get of whatever occurred, but there's parts I don't get. And those are the parts I would address. And I, but I, I was always willing to come back and, and say, Hey man, I wasn't fully in the right. Like I, you know, I kind of flew off the handle or I, I allowed my emotions to get the best of me. And I apologize for that, but I do think there are things to be taken care of or to be addressed. So that being said, I'm just a guy that, that believes in going to the source, you know, get it from the horse's mouth. As my dad used to say, you know, everybody can spank that horse on the ass, but nobody's willing to go up there and talk to him, you know, so go up there and talk to that horse, you know, find out what the hell's going on. And then maybe you get a better perspective, you know, cause people, and you got to admit during that time you were going through all that, um, they were one-sided. Most of the comments were nothing to do with your personal life. It was to do with something that an answer you didn't give them or something that they wanted that didn't get done or whatever the case may be. They didn't, they didn't want to take the person as a whole. They were bitching at the position. They weren't bitching at the person, but the problem is they, we are all people, you know, we talk about stress in that, in that leadership class, right? Come to work with a little bit already, you know, you got family stress and whatever. And now you're coming to work overloaded already with some family stress, but nobody wants to take that into to effect. And so I learned to, to take into effect people's as a whole. Um, you know, I could tell when it wasn't a fire department thing bothering somebody, you know, and everybody's entitled to a bad day. You heard me say it a thousand times. I'll give you one bad day. When you start coming in two and three in a row, then I'm probably, I am going to have a conversation with you, but I don't believe you jump on it right away. I believe you, you go, you chalk it up to a bad day because we're all entitled to them. You know, being a, being an officer, sometimes you, you don't get as many as you'd like because you got to deal with somebody else's. But um, the bottom line is that I think sometimes you can make somebody's bad day worse uh, by not letting it play out. For you, you were having bad weeks. You know, it was it was bad weeks that led into bad months, to, and people weren't people didn't understand if they'd have just come to you, man, and said, "Hey, man, I don't understand why I didn't get this." this response or, you know, I, I asked for this, you know, four weeks ago or whatever, you know, maybe then, then they find out that there's more going on than just, you know, pushing, pushing papers and talking to people on the phone. Uh, but most people don't want to do that. And you know that it's, it's hard. It's hard to step up and, and challenge a guy. I never really thought it was that hard because that's the way it was brought up. That's just the reason I did it. Yeah. So anyway, that call that you're referencing, your, you know, that last big call of your career, um, yeah, that was uh, a really big call for me as well. We've we've had this conversation before, but you're you're really really good at, at telling the story. I, I'd like to hear it from your mouth from from beginning to end because there's a lot of lessons in in that in that story. Tactically, uh, leadership-wise, communication-wise, I think everybody on that call learned something that night. You know, uh, I do too. I, I believe I believe you're correct. So my last uh, <clears throat> my last six months of my career, I I gave up my unit uh, and the policy in the department that we worked for um, was that in order to give your unit up, you, you had to stay six months in each, each other's position. So I gave it to, uh, to a well-deserving individual who was, who was at the time a floating Lieutenant. Um, so I became a floating Lieutenant. 
which I still don't really like the policy because, you know, you spend 30 years, you figure you kind of get to dictate your last six months, but it didn't work that way. Um, so I was, you know, I was floating all over the county. So I floated into a house there um, at 63 with a, a lot of young people, a lot of, uh, a lot of direction needed at that house. Uh, there was a lot of youth there, uh, not a lot of strong leadership there, an open lieutenant position. Uh, as you know, you, you dealt with it. So again, uh, kind of that mentality every day I went to work was, you know, for 24 hours, there's nothing you can throw at me that I can't handle. You know, I'm just, that's got to be your mentality uh, when you get into that position and you're going to, you're going to be directing people, uh, whether it be life or death or, you know, whether it just be, you know, how things are going to run the day. Uh, you, you've got to be able to project that to other people so that they start building that same mindset as, hey, there's nothing they can throw at me that I can't handle. In fact, you can ask most of the guys that went and took their promotional exams that used to work for me that got promoted. Um, I would call them the day of the test or I'd text them. Say, it's the last thing I want you to remember going into that test. There is nothing they're gonna throw at you that you can't handle. That's the last thought I want them to have going in there. Uh, and you can ask them to a man, they got that phone call or they got that text. Because that's the mentality I think you just have to have. And I, and I think the good ones have that mentality. And some flounder through, but the good ones usually show up, take care of it. So on this particular day, really busy day, a big storm had blown through. We'd already went on one, uh, one building fire that was already scaled down to single unit responses because of the, the storms. It was a bad day uh, that ended up being a lightning strike. They thought it was in a, in a big warehouse. Uh, ended up, it, it hit a big pine tree right on the backside of it. Uh, and that's where the smoke was being generated from. Uh, we went through all the protocol and we did, you know, we did what we had to do and we mopped it up, so we headed back to the station. And I'm at this house, I was probably on my probably 20th call of the day. Um, and it's maybe 7:30 at night, uh, just just one of those days. And um, <clears throat> we get busted out to a. Uh, it was a public assist call, is how it came in. The engineer that was was driving for me, he was a young guy, uh, you know, who who needed some a lot of direction, and. Uh, so he busts out of the house. We're going lights and sirens. We don't get the update until we're, you know, probably a mile down the road. And the update is that a lady called in and said that her uh, cable box had been hit by lightning and that she wanted us to check her cable box because she called um, Spectrum and Spectrum said they, they'd be out the following Thursday. I believe this was a Wednesday. Can't remember exactly, but it was, it was midweek. So it was going to be a week before they came out. Uh, so in my mind, I'm already saying, are you freaking kidding me? You know, this is call 20 plus, And I'm going to look at a cable box that the cable company said will be out Thursday to look at it. Uh, so in my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, you know what? This is just kind of, everybody knows, anybody in the service knows, just, just kind of horseshit you're going on. So we're about, we're about to where we're going, uh, just short of the intersection. I just was fixing to tell the engineer to shut them lights off. And we were too close to the intersection. It was raining a little bit. So, you know, I thought it'd be, probably be best that everybody was already just starting to do what they do, uh, either get in your way or just stop. And uh, so I just let him go uh, to clear the intersection. And then I was going to have him shut the lights off. Well, as we cleared the intersection, I look over and I see, uh, I see fire just blowing out of the gable end of a three-story apartment building. Um, so I said, well, hell, I guess her cable box did get catch on fire. So we, we roll in there and I call it, you know, I call a first alarm response and then I bumped it up to a uh, working fire and our department was two more inches than another truck company. 
So I knew I needed two on it coming off a truck company. I, I wanted one on the gable end and I wanted one in the middle of the, the, uh, the building in case we did have to cut it off. Uh, so it was just a single unit on sink for the first, you know, probably, I'd say probably first five, six minutes for sure until the county chief showed up that day. I directed the crew what to do. Again, they were young. There was a little bit of bumping into each other and, you know, and I went around and gave my report. Uh, got fire just blowing out the gable end up in the attic space. Uh, people in the apartments uh, that we're running on, the, the people in the department directly underneath where this fire is are looking out the window, uh, kind of like gawkers do, just like, oh, hey, the fire department's out there, not knowing that, you know, fire's completely in the attic above their head. So I tell the two firemen on the unit to, uh, I want them to clear that building. I want them to evacuate. I said, you know, get up them stairs and knock on them doors. And, and uh, Dave, I tell you, if there was one, there was 50 people came out of that building. Uh, that's how many people were there, you know, unbeknownst to what was going on. So I guess the check the cable box was a good thing because I don't know how long it would have went before, you know, we actually got the call. Right. Um, so I just started, you know, again, just falling back on experience and, and uh, you know, command presence and whatnot. I started directing units, you know, when they came in, I didn't want them all bottlenecking down. So told the first truck company that showed up to make the first left and come all the way around to the back of the unit and everybody else had to go down and make the, make the second left. You're going to be coming up the opposite way and to leave room for that second truck. Uh, so when the battalion chief got on scene, he didn't take, probably didn't really need to take a whole lot of information from me because I had pretty much described it on the radio, but there wasn't a great pass on there. Um, but it was, hey, why don't, why don't you head up, up to the third floor with your crew? Uh, and I said, all right. So I told him, I said, I'm pulling that entire breezeway. I wanted him to know that I was pulling all that ceiling in that breezeway that we were going to, we were going to find a stopping point. I want to see how far it had gotten across there. So I went up there and I had this young kid from 66, uh, eager. Uh, he was just a guy wanted to work. Uh, in fact, his Lieutenant Holiday twice for working with me and not working with him. Uh, but he came over and, uh, him and I together, we pulled that entire, entire breezeway down and the, 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 uh, firewall. So it was a common attic, but the firewall was double sheeted, uh, uh, drywall so it was doing its it was doing its thing uh, as I started getting more crews up I directed uh, an engine company to each door the doors were on like a 45 narrow hallway you were there you saw it Na narrow hallway and uh, we were breaching those doors getting ready to make fire attack we we're going to get up underneath it you know start it from the doorway and work our way out had a little issue with the um, with the, the water supply coming up so we were delayed on water I'm watching, I'm seeing this firewall hold it back. And then I start seeing the themes of that drywall with a little bit of flame licking around it. Um, so I was on the radio with the battalion and telling him, you know, if you don't give me some water up here, doors were breached, crews were ready, lines were in place, we just didn't have any water. And I said, if you don't give me any water up here, we're gonna burn a roof off this thing. And uh, he's trying to, somewhere in all that jargon, he's trying to tell me that they had an issue and they're they trying to work the issue out. Uh, by this point, I think, is when you arrived uh, and he made you Division Three, uh, which is where we were on the third floor. I don't think you and I ever really had an opportunity to communicate to each other. Uh, I, I can remember looking back, seeing you on the breezeway. I was in the middle of the, uh, of the hallway, kind of directing crews on both sides. I heard the battalion chief call you, call Division Three, and tell you to, uh, to evacuate that third floor landing. So in my mind, you know, again, been doing this a long time, don't really need to evacuate this third floor landing, but you know what? I don't see what he sees down there. I see what I see. 
Uh, I think had he had he had a a better awareness of what was really had already happened up there, he'd have probably felt a little more comfortable. But seeing some footage of it or whatnot, it, it, in his mind, I think it did appear that we were standing underneath uh, all that fire when and we really weren't. He said to clear that third floor landing, and I think you I think he did get in just to say you know check or 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 let him know you you got the order. But I don't know between me and you, it was probably less than a minute. Uh, again, not knowing how confined it was, how many people we had up there. I heard him tell the Quint to go ahead and open up. And I was in the middle of the breezeway with uh, firemen on both sides of me from my crew. And uh, they opened up that, that deck gun, which was throwing off that aerial, which was throwing 800 gallons a minute. And uh, <clears throat> they blew in that firewall on top of us in the breezeway, immediately blacking down. I mean, it forced all the smoke down. Uh, couldn't see anybody. Couldn't even see the two firemen next to me. I, last thing I remember was I made eye contact with you when he gave the order to clear the landing. And then immediately they opened up that, they opened up that, uh, that, that uh, aerial nozzle. And I remember, I remember thinking, man, I'm less than a month away from retiring. I had less than a month to go. And I knew the officer on that, that, uh, that truck company that day because he worked for me. He was my, driver operator on my unit. Uh, he knew how, he knew my MO, he knew how, how I worked and, and, and the things that needed to happen. So first happened, I, again, you know, everything came down in on top of me, couldn't see anything. So I did a quick inventory of myself. I had still had my face piece on and I was, I was still there. And I was like, all right. So I reached to my right and my left and my firemen were still there. I asked them if they were okay. And they said, yeah, again, we couldn't see anything. So I told them at that point, we we're going up the back breezeway. You were in the front breezeway. We came down, and once I got to that breezeway and kind of got out of that that uh, that darkness, uh, I immediately the emotions were super high on my part. Like I'm I'm gonna go stomp his ass in the dirt in front of everybody because that is not how you run a truck company. Needless to say, that you could have killed you know half a dozen guys up there, and that and we read too many of those stories, right? But the problem, a lot of the problem was communication. Um, too much chatter on the radio. Nobody, nobody confirming orders, uh, people coming in with stuff that, that didn't need to be said. I remember you trying to get out. You couldn't even, you couldn't even get out to them because just an abundance of, uh, at this point, non-essential talk. Uh, so I remember coming down. I remember hearing you ask where Allie Good was, where Allie Good was. And I remember uh, Lieutenant Rotundi hollering from the back up to you and said, he's, right, he's with me. Him and his crew are with me. And then we all, I think we all went down to the ground. Uh, we all went down the stairwell. And that's when I confronted the lieutenant off that truck company. And, uh, you know, I did finally have to call and apologize to him because I do love him, love him to death. But, man, I was hot, Dave. I mean, I could just see spending all that time. And, and this is how I was going to go out on, on poor communication and, you know, lack of clarification, especially a guy who taught command school, um, a guy who taught, these guys that are chiefs command school, a little hot. I was a little hot on the collar. It took me a little while. I, I think it was like you said that night, you know, um, the, the, the division chief that night uh, was a guy that we hired from down in uh, Hialeah. I believe it was Chief Bates. Um, he came up and uh, he asked me, he said, would, would you mind doing the, uh, the AAR or the, you know, debrief? And I said, chief, I said, uh, I don't mind doing it. I said, but, just so you know, I mean, everything's going to be brought to light here. Like, 
I'm not holding, I'm not holding back on anybody, including myself, but everybody's going to know because everybody needs to learn. Uh, I just believe that, that, and, and we teach it all the time, but you know, do we carry it out all the time? And this is a time that needs to be carried out. Real headstrong battalion chief, for those of you who don't know, but a good guy and a guy who really does have heart, even though people never get to see it. He, he stepped up and he said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to own that one. Um, and again, another proud moment because you, you know, some people, some people don't want to do that. And if you know this guy, you, you would say that guy would never do that, but he did stepped up and he said, I'm going to own that. Yeah, it's on me. Uh, I, I, I didn't allow for division three to give me the, everybody's off the deck. Talked about the truck lieutenant, you know, after, after being a truck lieutenant for so long and, and, you know, and I told him, I said, listen, man, you're called special ops for a reason. And I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way, but we're not special ed, we're special ops. It's your job before you throw 800 gallons a minute up there to clarify. I don't care, again, if it's the President of the United States, you go, I'm not opening that nozzle. Everybody's off that deck because this is the kind of stuff that happens. This is the kind of stuff we read about. And he, he I mean, they, everybody took it well, Dave. Uh, again, you know, uh, Chief Bates, you know, he said a lot of good things about me. And again, a guy I didn't, I didn't know super well. I got, got to know him a little bit. You know, and again, I kind of walked away going, man, I don't get it. I don't get why people are saying these things because I, I just didn't do anything different. You know, I think people feel like they got to do something different to, to, to try to earn that. And I think that's where they go wrong. They steer it in the wrong direction. And again, I, I leave there all humbled again, thinking, man, I don't get it. Why do you get credit for just being proud of a good job? You know? And uh, I think you and I can agree that, that we've lost a lot of that. We've got guys that walk away and don't mind if they didn't do a good job. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about our after action reviews and how you, you know, you leave on a positive note, right? And and you sat through many of my classes. Sorry about that too, by the way, but you sat down and listened to me a lot. Um, and I would tell them, you know, positive, there's positive and a lot of negative, you know, positive to me is you showed up and one bedroom was on fire and you're standing out there and, and there's a slab there and you're telling everybody, nobody got hurt, you know, good job, everybody go home. I said, that's not a positive note positive note is we're going to be better when we leave here than when we came. And there's no, there is nothing you can tell me that makes that right. That this was a single, you know, this was just a, a room and content fire that we allowed the entire structure to burn down. We failed in a lot of areas. That's the negative. The positive is that we're not going to do it again. So right. that's leaving on a positive note, not saying, well, nobody got hurt. You know, we'll all go home now. Sorry about those people. Um, that's not positive. Uh, so that's that's what we mean when we say we leave on a positive note. Uh, so anyway, again, I guess it's, it's just a train of thought or a frame of mind. So that's kind of it. That's kind of the way that night went. Uh, yeah. Still still suffering from it today. Uh, wake up every night, probably between two and three o'clock in the morning, with my my neck and my my shoulder just in excruciating pain. And, and for everybody out there, man, you need to report it because I didn't. You know, I just took it as getting older up all night dehydrated yeah you know, ran 30 calls and it'll go away and it, it hasn't gone away uh and i know exactly where it came from uh, so if anybody listens to it you know don't saying hey I, I woke up with some stiffness it's okay to at least get it documented you know 
for me, I'm just got the same shitty insurance and, and it is what it is. So that night when the roof came in, that was one of those moments where, I mean, when I, when I left that scene, uh, I swore to myself that that would never happen again. Um, I mean, I, I thought, I thought you and two firefighters died. Well, I did too for a short second. You covered all the bases. That's why I wanted you to tell a story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if we talked about the reason why I, I titled the podcast from embers to excellence. The thought behind that is it came to me as I've made a lot of mistakes in my personal and my professional life. One of the things that I've been determined to do is not allow those mistakes to define me, but to make sure that I learn from them and help others learn from them as well. Just make sure that I'm better, that, that some, something positive comes out of those, those mistakes, those, those yeah. failures. And mm -hmm. if you'd be willing to share, you know, maybe some defining moment in, in your personal or professional life where at that time you felt like it was a failure and, and you learned a lot from it and it helped shape who you are. Gosh, I, 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 I want to honestly say I probably made more bad choices than I did good choices. Uh, or, or I shouldn't say choices, I should say decisions. Fortunate for me, uh, they weren't critical bad decisions, um, and they weren't necessarily in the moment bad decisions, but after the fact, uh, looking back on it, they weren't good decisions. Uh, from, from a fireman, being a fireman to um, all the way up to being a lieutenant, being a teacher, being, uh, being a dad. I think the reality of it is, uh, like you were talking about, you know, making mistakes. If there's anybody that can come on this podcast and say that they haven't done what you've done, haven't done what I've done, uh, made mistakes in their life. And, and as I used to always say in all my classes was it's, it's the mistake has been made. It's not the mistake you make. It's what you do after you make the mistake. So what are you going to do? And I think that's what you mean when you say you're not going to be defined by it. You're going to show people that that mistake has actually pushed me forward to do better things, right? And right. so I think all those mistakes that we made, that I've made, um, were, were just part of the process to getting to a point where I could share that uh, in a positive way and say, man, I'm, I'm not standing here to tell you I don't make mistakes. That's the, I'm going to make one today. There's no doubt. I've already probably made one today by coming on here. Um, <laughs> But I'm, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make one every day. But I, I, you know, as I always talk about that, I say, you know, what do I want to miss? Do I want to make that mistake trying, or do I want to make that mistake because I didn't give an effort? And I'd much rather make that mistake by trying, learning from it, getting better from it, and not making it again. Now, if I continue to make the same mistake, obviously I'm not learning. But what a boring life! What a boring life it would be if none of us ever did. Yeah. Um, I would. I, again, I, it always comes back to teaching some class, uh, but I would tell the rookies, you know, we, we had the slide up there that said, do you, are you hesitant to ask questions? Do you feel like there's penalties for asking questions? Or would you 
point out a hazard to a more senior firefighter. And I would always put them as first day on the job, first hour into the job. And you're, you're cruising around this house and you see something that looks, looks like it's, you know, man, that could probably hurt somebody. Are you going to allow that one hour on the job to keep you from telling that fireman the 15 years, at least pointing it out to them. And the, the ones that answered honestly would say, I, I don't think I would say anything. Right. And that's what we're trying to get out of. Right. We, we, I'll take the nickname. I'll take the, the, the Raz and then I'm going to get if it was something silly. But then I would always follow it up with, okay, so you went on around, you didn't say anything about it, but the next year came through and somebody got hurt. Where are you now? Where are you now? Do you raise your hand and go, man, I saw that. And I didn't tell anybody. That's the chances are it's going to be the same answer. No, I'm not going to say anything. But the bottom line is you're going to live with it. You got to live with that because it was something that you allowed your pride, right? You allowed that, that, well, man, I only got an hour on the job. It doesn't matter if you got an hour on the job. If you think it's bad, let them tell you why it's not. Let him explain to you. And I said, yeah, I'm going to tell you. I said, probably 50% of the time, they're going to turn around and look at you and go, man, good job. I didn't even see that. Because because we get so focused on what we do and we get in such a routine that, you know, we're, we're I'm getting to seaside, man. I'm kind of skipping that A and B to get back there. And I'm going to run past stuff. That's why we work in pairs. That's why two, two sets of eyes are better than one. You asked me about defining mistakes in my career. Uh, oof. <sighs> <laughs> there was a bunch. I mean, there was a lot of things that I did in my career that weren't mistakes that, that I would have because I was doing it for the right reason. Uh, I knew that it was, it was something that was not in the handbook, let's put it that way. Um, but I always felt like a decision that I made, I never, I never worried about a decision I made, what the punishment for making the decision was, if that makes sense. That never, ever crossed my mind. Every decision I ever made was made in the best interest of the people we were serving and the people that were with me. And so sometimes it was off script. Sometimes it was outside the handbook, um, but it led to a positive outcome. Never had, I would say, a negative outcome. I would say probably, the, I got to go all the way back to the story I told about when I first came on. I would say that was my defining moment, um, was, was getting past that, um, that proudful state you know, getting past that, reaching out to somebody and saying, man, I, I just don't, I don't know how to handle this. Like I've never, I've never been through it. I would say that was my defining moment was getting through that year, uh, fighting it, you know, some days, man, just not wanting to, wanting to go inside, but not wanting to go on the outside uh, and just keep plugging away until it just became less and less. Um, and for me, I, I think that that was kind of my defining moment was that, you're doing what you're supposed to do. Uh, I'm a man of faith, you know, and I, I just believe that, you know, the good Lord wasn't going to let me walk away from that. And, you know, he, he put me there for a reason, but he wasn't going to make it easy on me. You know, he challenges us every day in life. And, and I believe that. And I think that's what makes us be better people. I mean, the society that we live in now, man, uh, who would have ever thought I couldn't have imagined it. And I don't think anybody still can imagine it. Uh, that we are to where we are in our in our own country in our world. Um, so for me, I, I think I would have to say, and I and I, I don't I don't know if you call it a mistake so much as as um, as being a little naive maybe or just being too proudful to to say, hey man, I'm just I'm just not feeling right, man. I don't know what it is. Like I don't know how to overcome this. Um, and and getting some help. And and when I say getting some help, it was 
you know, it was my, my parents, my wife, my, my in-laws, my, um, my lieutenant, you know, again, Marvin, that he, he meant the world to me. He still does. I mean, that guy, I, I mean, he, he let me know that it was okay, you know, and that's, that's kind of the message I tried to uh, send to all these rookies, you know, and these families that, Hey, they're, they're going to go through things that their body's not going to feel right. Their mind's not going to feel right. There's, they're going to experience things. And what I wanted them to know was that that guy you eat dinner with every night probably went through the same thing, you know, grab that guy and say, Hey man, this was my first big call. You know, how did you feel on your first big call? You know, if they're going to be honest with you, they're going to say, man, yeah, I was feeling like this, feeling like that. And all of a sudden you start realizing that this isn't, this is, this is almost normal. It's, you're not different than anybody else. It's just, they have reached that point where, where I finally did. Um, so to me, that's the defining part in my career was that, you know, you come out of that mentally tougher period and you can, there's two choices to make, you know, and I, and I, I made the positive one and, uh, I just kept pushing on. And so call it a mistake. Maybe, um, I don't know if, probably was a mistake I guess um for not you know for not letting somebody know yeah um but I made plenty I uh, probably made one my last day on duty I'm sure I did we went and ate pizza that, wasn't good. <laughs> that hurt me at the end of the day um, <laughs> uh but yeah I've made some I don't know that I don't know that they defined me one way or the other but um uh, I've made plenty Still going to make them, you know. I think that's what makes us better, though. Knowing it's going to happen. But much rather make them trying than sitting on the sideline. Absolutely. So is there anything that you want to leave the, the audience with? Some nuggets of Valley Good Wisdom? Well, yeah, there is, actually. Um, first of all, I know it's cliche to say that you're in the best profession there is in the world, but I, and, and I used to tell people it wasn't because I am one. It's just because it became that way. Uh, I truly do. I truly do feel that y'all serve and the men and women serving out there. Uh, it'll be the most positive thing you've ever done in your life. Uh, you're not going to get rich on it by any means. Uh, some are, but those aren't the ones out doing it, but I'd say be true to yourself. Because if you can't be honest with yourself, and, I, and this is in your daily life, this isn't just in your in your your service career, but if you can't be true to yourself, then uh, then it's never going to work out for you. You're never going to be looked upon the way you 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 want to be looked upon. Um, if you're not willing to step up and and make the mistakes and and, and admit to making the mistakes, uh, again, don't let emotion run your decision making process. You know, again, if you got to take a day. Um, and on that, I meant to go back to the email. Uh, so you, you know about this. This is when we were, this is when we were getting to know each other pretty well. And I got hot under the collar and man, I typed out an email one night and, uh, man, we've all done it. We've hit that send button and realized that at the end, it, it's probably ain't going to work out so good. And boy, I, I got hot, man. I was, I was mad and I don't know what it was, but something said, you know, call, call Dave. Call Dave and uh, send this email over to Dave before you hit the send button. Um, and so I did. I called you. I sent it to you. And you called me back. And you said, yeah, I probably wouldn't send that one. Um, 
if we could all, if we could all learn that, right? Uh, not just on an email, but just in general, if we could keep emotion out of it and care about the person that's next to you. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what, what sex they are. You got to care about the person that's next to you. I'm not telling you got to go have a beer with them because there was many I wouldn't have. But as long as they were next to me and we were in it together, they were the most important thing to me. And I think that the men and women in the field need to know that that is the most important thing. Uh, leave your differences aside. Uh, when you're out there doing the job, especially in those, those high stress situations, the most important thing to you is the ones you're standing there next to. Um, because those people are the ones along with yourself that are going to get you back to the people that you love the most. Uh, and that's your family. So I would say start investing in yourself and others for the right reason. Uh, not because it's a pay raise and not because it's a, it's a bugle or, or, uh, you know, it's going to get you out of doing more work or whatever the case may be, but because you're true to yourself and you want to make a difference. I think that's probably what I want to leave. Um, and retirement's awesome to let everybody know. I hear people say, I hear people moan and groan, even grown men break into tears because they retired. Uh, if you do it right and you go out the right way, I'm telling you, it's, it's that that is your goal, is to get to that point. So for me, it's been a it's been a godsend. Thank you very much for for coming on and and sharing everything that you did. Uh, this is. This is probably one of the best conversations I've ever had with you. <laughs> and we've yeah, had some, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it, we've had some really good, good conversations. Um, but as far as on a serious note, as far as those uh, serious conversations that you and I have had, this is, uh, I'd say, right up there, the top of the list. So I, I'm, I'm taking a lot away from this and, and uh, I really appreciate it, man. Yep. No worries. No worries. Always here for you. Thanks, man. All right, brother. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.